Hello, everyone. My name is Grace Beatty, and welcome to Wicked Women, the podcast. On this podcast, I will be discussing with leading experts some of history's most infamous and maligned women. Within each episode, I do not look to excuse or dispute the wrongs committed by some of these women, but I do strive to bring a more holistic and rounded understanding of each particular woman's story. Step back in time and come on this journey with me as we discover the lives and legacies of these fascinating women. In today's episode, I will be talking with Belle, the producer and creator of Silhouettes, a podcast that focuses on the history of fashion around the world with an emphasis on women's influence and participation. Keep listening to our conversation around women and fashion history. Also keep an eye out for part two, where I discuss some of my favorite wicked women and the role fashion played in their lives. You know, really to to start off, if you want to just introduce yourself, but also introduce your podcast, your social media, what you really do with your platform. So I'm Belle and I have a background in public history, but I always had a bit of an interest just on the side in fashion history. And so a few years ago, I decided just to sort of uh, delve into that a little bit more and I started um, my fashion history podcast which is Silhouettes and that's kind of it's quite broad but it's not so much about necessarily the clothes themselves but more about how we can trace history through the clothing if that makes sense so sort of the political social connections that they have and vice versa Um, but I'm also quite interested in you know the history of women particularly in the west and how clothes have sort of um, defined their roles so to speak so I kind of delve into a few different things but it's mostly like the importance of fashion history and what it can tell us about different time periods I find that really interesting. (laughs) I mean it is it's a fascinating section of history I think Mm. something recently that said it's definitely on the up and up right now in the historical field. Totally. And it really I mean it is so fascinating and it's beautiful to look at. I know you get a wonderful um, combination of things. I think something about fashion that I always found interesting whenever we studied it at any capacity at school, which was obviously, you know, limited. (laughs) We didn't do enough in my opinion. Um, But there was kind of a um, personable side to it that I didn't often get from the sort of broader political history that I always felt connected to you know like you think of certain clothes and you can picture yourself in that position and you can picture the person that would have been wearing it and there's just like you can sort of see the person within the history does that make any sense and that was always something that yeah that connects me to it in a way that broader history sometimes I can feel a little bit detached if I'm not as knowledgeable about the topic you know it's it's complicated there's so many facts and figures and years to learn (laughs) but with clothes there's sort of an element of you've got something to trace and you've got people to trace alongside with it and it's true and it it is more personable in that way that you can you also choose clothes every day or choose an event that you can really see their choices their personal choices in what they Mm. wear And that's also fascinating in itself because, you know, you get individual people who are obviously products of their time and have to reflect the politics and the social makeup of whatever, you know, context they're in. But you do see people 
still make individual choices within that and that's really interesting to me as well um how kind of people have always used clothes as a sort of I don't know to define themselves a little bit and as a way to go against what's maybe <laughs> maybe against them in the, in the wider world yeah yeah and I mean that that leads very well into that first question that I have is sort of yeah you know through <laughs> this research that you do through your podcast how have you seen different women especially use fashion as a political move or just as expressing themselves sort of in history similar to what I just said really but I think it's just what's been so fascinating to me for me is to have seen fashion used quite consistently throughout the eras and throughout the world um, in different ways but usually kind of with the same goal and that is just like the ability to tell your own story and to carve out a little bit of a presence and that can be either like you know personality wise for your personal reasons or culturally um, and, and you see that through like a lot of female western designers particularly in the uk people like vivian westward and mary quant um uh, these were both women who you know kind of changed the way that women and men and you know everyone on all uh, identity spectrums dressed but also how clothing really functioned in society and the expectations put on women um and i think it's just really interesting to see clothing used as a way to carve out a presence um in a way that maybe particularly for women um they didn't have much power elsewhere. So I think that's why when you think of the history of women, it's intrinsically tied to clothing and fashion. And so you think that would be sort of their version of having a voice and having a political statement or whatever it is. Do you think that they're in a unique position to use fashion in that way? I think so. Yeah. Um, I, I think we do see women use it to ad their advantage um, in social settings, particularly just because of this idea of fashion being seen as a women's thing. You know, you hear this idea of the women's sphere and that's, you know, within the home, but also tied to things like making clothes and cooking and so it is a arena in which women have been allowed to be and so within that they do use a little bit of that power and I just think that's you know I kind of I, I respect that <laughs> you know you're not given much but you're making the best with what you're given um, and you see that all all throughout history you know throughout different time periods different places different communities of people um, fashion and clothing usually is a cultural thing that weaves itself around different stories but particularly within the context of women and you know the choices they're able to make it's so it is so fascinating and I mean even outside of you know, queen or mistress or what have you, do you think this is also a career path that women have had more access to in history? I think so. I don't think so much at the um, upper levels, unfortunately. You still see Dior, for example, being um, a, a male designer having so much influence, but you do see um, women able to sort of reach higher levels within a fashion sphere than in any other role. You know, if you think of... Um, the political sphere for example I could probably name on my hand <laughs> throughout the world how many women who have been at the top but in fashion design and even like making fashion um, you know the creation of clothes textiles you see women um, quite high up in that in that position and so yeah I think there's an element of them being allowed to move up in in social aspects in the social aspect yeah and of course as you said still 
a work in progress. This some of the most famous it, are still men. Yeah. <laughs> but possibly a, a realm that gives you more opportunity. I think so. Like I mentioned Mary Quant earlier and she's a really interesting one. She because obviously she's credited with kind of um commercializing the miniskirt of the nineteen sixties. Um oh. and as we know that kind of completely changed the path of fashion expectations for women um i know she opened her boutique in the king's road in chelsea in 1955 i think it's called boutique bazaar something like that um but it's this way of like establishing uh, sort of a presence in society that that you're that you might struggle in any other sphere um but also using that to your advantage and helping women who might not be in the same position as you to also um have a bit of uh, identity and sense of expression in the wider world and she's a really interesting one because her fashion's just completely changed um how women were able to present themselves in in society and in the general public and she also herself was then able to um reap the benefit of that I'm sure oh absolutely absolutely and it is interesting some of the more uh, forward-thinking fashion in history have Mm -hmm. been women's ideas (laughs) which is always an interesting parallel yeah, But, you know, for, for a lot of women, it is, of, especially if they're on sort of the front stage of history, fashion mm-hmm. often is within the discussion about them. But I feel like especially yeah. for these, quote unquote, wicked women or bad women mm-hmm. in history, you know, Anne Boleyn, Marie Antoinette, Cleopatra, so mm-hmm. much of their legacy is tied with what they wore or them being a, a sex goddess or a fashion trailblazer or whatever it is. What do you think is sort of linked to that specifically through the line of wicked women? Um, I think there's a few reasons for this, but I think it does just hark back to this idea of clothing being a women's thing and also people not wanting women to have power anywhere else. So then it kind of creates an element of fear that these women particularly were actually, you know, quite powerful in their sort of in their own way in different areas but they also just happen to be people who used fashion for that reason as well so I think they kind of just probably conjured up at the time period and even still now this sense of like well but you can't be both (laughs) you have to like fashion or you have to be you know a political individual you can't possibly want both of those things and I think it's just you see particularly people like um Anne Boleyn um, is a stereotypical example. You know, she's probably up there with one of the most notorious women in Western history, mm-hmm. I'd say. Um, but, you know, it's this idea of a woman manipulating what they're given to carve out a sense of power. And I think that scares people. <laughs> For sure. And do you think there's a, a difference as well? Because I think of, you know, someone like Marie Antoinette as well, that so much of her mm-hmm. fashion legacy is tied to this idea that she was frivolous or she was throwing her money everywhere. Mm-hmm. And the same with Cleopatra and Anne Boleyn and especially like royal mm-hmm. mistresses. And do you feel like you see a difference in the way women are portrayed in how they're dressing, depending on their role in society, whether they're seen in a positive light or a negative light? Um, it, it's a tricky one because it's also dependent on the time period and the location. Obviously, Marie Antoinette was 
living in a political and social background that was, you know, not uh, not the best, shall we say. And so her living frivolously and being very interested in fashion negatively represented her because people saw it as someone who is using the money they didn't have for, you know, frivolous means. But um, so I think the context is also relevant there you know the the backdrop of of the time and the place they're living but um with Anne Boleyn as well I think she's an interesting one because she famously didn't fit you know the the stereotypical uh beauty standards of the time she was quite pale she had dark coloring and dark hair but um she obviously brought a lot of fashions um back to England from her time in France and she kind of used this um, French-inspired fashion at court to gain attention. Um, and so that was probably also seen as something that was a little bit out there and a little bit, um, you know, manipulative. <laughs> she was using an influence that she had um, over court with her fashion. But it, it, it's very dependent on, you know, location and time and also the other people around them, um, in the world around them. I think that definitely affects the way they're seen and you know you do see these women crop up in these conversations particularly because they were living in politically tumultuous times Um, and I think that definitely has a big effect on their interest in fashion and they're interested in being quite um, visible presences (laughs) is presences a word I don't know (laughs) Um, being seen as a negative thing because you know this idea that they should be focusing more on the important things, the politics and the social upheaval, as opposed to the way that they look without knowing that actually they were using that to their own advantage to gain a bit of power to potentially make changes that people didn't understand. Does that make any sense? It does. I mean, and it can be it can be seen as so ironic as well, because you can imagine any of these women not putting effort into their clothes. They would have most likely been ridiculed mm-hmm. at just as far of an extreme mm-hmm that they were not fit for the role they were in because they didn't dress properly. So one of those classic ironies in history is sort of, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of thing. Yeah, that's definitely true with Elizabeth I, I think, because she was obviously you know she she did some questionable things you know it was a lot (laughs) but she was also a woman with a lot of power who you know did a lot of quite incredible things um at her given time period given that she was a woman but so much of the conversations around her is based on how she looked (laughs) yes And, and the fact that she didn't um stick to well she created beauty standards over time but initially she wasn't as you know she wasn't as beautiful as her mother and she dressed in certain ways and she you know she had bad skin and all these kinds of things and you think actually why is the way that she (laughs) her beauty standards not um you know they're so intrinsically tied but she's someone that wasn't necessarily beautiful at the beginning of her reign um like I said over time she did change that um, perception and she became the beauty standard <laughs> but yes. so many conversations around her are based on yeah her being ugly or whatever and you know but then if she'd been very frivolous and really into fashion and fashion design and spent a lot of money on um, like Marie Antoinette on her certain clothing and changing five times a day and buying perfume that would have been the conversation anyway (laughs) exactly exactly it is such a, a fine line to walk and so many women in history whether it is negative or positive women in history so much of their the conversation around them is 
how they looked or what they mm. wore, what they did with their hair. And mm-hmm. I mean, you still see it today. It is definitely a part of our culture still. So it's a, an interesting part of the discussion around women in general. Yeah, I, I read something about that earlier, actually. And it was about um, Margot Robbie. Um, obviously, she's quite big at the moment um, mm. with the Barbie movie, but she's actually a really incredible actress and she's done some amazing things. I was thinking of I, Tonya, which she's just so good in that. But um, someone, I can't remember yeah. what post it was on, but someone said something like, um, her worth as an actress will never be quite deemed good enough because of how attractive she is. <laughs> I thought that was a really interesting mm. point because she's I mean she's very famous don't get me wrong and she's appreciated as an actress but when you look at some of the lengths that she goes to in her roles to do the roles as well as she can you don't really hear people talking about that and it's a lot of the time of just how gorgeous she is <laughs> it's like you can be both <laughs> yeah how gorgeous she is, exactly how gorgeous she is or how she does or doesn't fit a role based on what she looks like well how young she looks for her age you know and you think she's only like 35 oh my god yeah so many of the conversations are about her physical appearance as opposed to her actual like you know ability to act and I think that's an interesting conversation yes I mean that can be its own farther reaching conversation and you know we I feel like society regularly starts that conversation and never really ends it but Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it's just something you see time and time again, you know, it's this idea of um, you can't really be both. People don't want you to have uh, (laughs) any sort of political, social influence, but also be really attractive. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. It's like, no, 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 you you can't, you can't do both. (laughs) Exactly. Don't do both, please don't. (laughs) Yeah, please, we'd we'd rather not. And you do see this a lot in history um, with with women who do gain some sort of... um, power outside of their given sphere I was thinking talking um about Margaret Thatcher I don't know if you know much about about her but um she's well I'm not the biggest fan of hers most people in the UK I don't think are (laughs) she was a big (laughs) yeah but when you she was obviously an interesting individual to study in that respect because she was a woman with a huge amount of political power at the time and that's something we'd never really seen before in that role Um, and she is someone who kind of popularized this idea of power dressing and she popularized um, female cuts of male suits and things like that Um, and she you know didn't wear very much makeup she did she wasn't that interested in sort of her attractiveness but she did use her clothes sort of manipulated the way she was dressing to sort of justify her political position um and I think that's interesting I wonder how if she'd looked different or if she was much more I don't know typically attractive whether that would have changed people's opinions towards her I I do wonder I I think it's especially interesting the more women get involved in the political sphere you know are they emphasizing the fact that they're on par with the men they're dressing Mm. in a more masculine style or are they emphasizing their femininity wearing those dresses emphasizing makeup and hair you know it's I think it can tell you a lot about their own beliefs or what they think society Mm. is expecting from them yeah, I, I do find that really interesting. And yet, like I said, you see it all throughout history. It's always been one of these strange things that, yeah, an attractive woman is, you know, not going to be <laughs> intelligent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 
you know, particularly in those spheres, yeah, you see the higher up women get, the the less sort of, um, I don't know, elaborately they dress. And it's like they, I, I understand, obviously, when you're that busy, <laughs> you've got that much power. Yeah. The last thing you're probably thinking about is what clothes you're wearing and a simple suit is good to go, <laughs> you know. But there's still a connection there of you might be laughed out of some of these rooms if you were dressing like Margot Robbie in the Barbie movie, for example. But that has absolutely no weight on how intelligent you are or the kind of job you can do. <laughs> it's just what you're wearing. <laughs> exactly. It comes down to the basic clothes and how you're presenting yourself. Mm. And I mean, do you, for you, in looking in history and looking at, you know, famous women who have used fashion, but particularly the notorious in a negative way women in history, do you have a favorite or one that you really admire for seeing her use fashion to her own advantage? Um, someone I often think of is Marlena Dietrich, which is obviously probably quite an obvious answer, but she's, she's just so fascinating. Some of her quotes about fashion and her role and how she used it is so interesting. And she is someone who I think is less notorious now, but certainly was very notorious at her at the time <laughs> um yeah she's always someone that crops up when I think about you know um women who used fashion politically socially and were seen as yeah less than favorable during the time um that the, the they were alive um but yeah she she's just She's an interesting one in terms of how she would be seen now as well. I wonder how differently she would be seen um, in the modern day. You know, I think people would probably quite respect her for um, <laughs> for her openness and the kind of person that she was. But certainly, um, you know, in the in the 1930s and when she was her most popular, she was seen as someone who was quite uh, politically adverse. You know, she famously spent. Uh, time with women as more than a friend <laughs> um, and she utilized her sort of I'd never know if I like the word androgynous but it, it you know it represents something that <laughs> that I, I want to represent here her androgynous kind of style of dressing um you know she took uh famously wore a lot of tuxedos particularly in a lot of her movies she dressed um in sort of feminized versions of typically men's clothes um and nowadays, I think that would gain a lot of interest and respect and people would love her for it. But yeah, at a time when, um, you know, gender ideals were quite rigid, <laughs> she was definitely seen as someone who was, you know, breaking the mold um, in a way that now we can see as positive. But I think at the time for a lot of people was not seen as a positive thing. But I know she famously actually hated clothes. <laughs> I know she, um, in a, well, not hated them, but she she didn't have much interest in them in her personal life. I know she said to the Observer, I think in 1960, something like, "If I dressed for myself, I wouldn't bother at all." And she's, you know, always saying that clothes were boring. She just wants to wear jeans, but she dressed for the image and not for herself. It was, um, it, it was she knew what she was doing with the clothes, um, and she knew the attitude towards fashion, and she wanted to make changes, and she knew that you know, um, creating an image based off the fashion choices she was making would sort of make changes. And I think that's really, really cool. <laughs> I agree. In the 1930s as well, that is not the the era where you imagine women no. dressing in more 
masculine clothes, masculine fashions, especially if you're on the forefront of, you know, cinema or the stage or whatever it is. So it is, it's very forward thinking of her. But I also love that she, she dressed really um, feminine a lot of the time, you know, a lot of her older movies from the thirties, particularly if you watch, have you watched uh, The Devil is a Woman from 1935? It's it's great, but she basically plays a femme fatale character. um, And some of her clothes are so elaborate. They're like um, silk two-tone dresses and, you know, gorgeous headpieces. And then you see her also at the same time wearing um, top hat and tails. <laughs> and I love that she's kind of the woman that she's like, I can be both, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm dressing for, for a, you know, for a reason. And, and yeah, I just, I respect her for that. <laughs> yeah. And you do wonder how many, women in history have done that that if you really asked them they probably wouldn't have cared but they know all they're filling yeah I think I think there's definitely an element of that um I was I was talking the other day about um Amelia Earhart as well um because she I don't think people really know that about her now but she had her own line of clothing (laughs) and it was yeah it was a specially designed sort of um practical two-piece active wear for women it was called Amelia Fashions in 1933 Um, and it was like anti-wrinkled dresses trousers outerwear and it was designed for women who wanted to have more practical clothing because she needed that in her role obviously as a pilot but it was something she struggled to find and so she decided to take it upon herself to make it for other women like her um and you know I I I just love that. I think that's so cool. And she's not famous for being attached to fashion in any way. Um, but actually that's such a, probably a huge step in the sort of changes in fashion in the 1930s that we saw happen, you know, trousers for women, even <laughs> that's, a, that's a huge step. Um, but, you know, exactly. She's just known for her, her role as a pilot. And I guess it's this idea of, yeah, well, she's a pilot. She can't possibly like clothes as well. Those two things can't happen at the same time. <laughs> exactly (laughs) and she was depicted in you know pants and and Mm. shirts so it is sort of she's not you don't think of her as this glamorous fashion icon Mm. even though that may have been very forward Mm. thinking for the time that she wasn't flying a plane in a dress (laughs) but she was interested in fashion and and what it could do for her just in a way that we don't often see women attached to and so I think Maybe it's not become part of her story, but I think we need to talk about that more because it's really cool. <laughs> and use use both of them as well and be able to yeah. see the, the two sides. And I mean, even for men as well, that a, a lot of times that is never a discussion about what they were wearing, but it's always the, the red carpet scene is talking about exactly what the women were wearing. And so yeah. it is a, an interesting difference that you see throughout history but especially today I think men's fashion is always so rigid as well you know you don't see them sort of being allowed to be particularly stereotypical so you know these fashion expectations aren't just on women they're on everyone you know we have to fit in the the I don't know the bubbles that we're allowed to be in and and fashion is the way that we sort of um communicate that with people but you know the Met Gala is a good example of that I I always see people talking about the women's dresses and their really cool outfits because yeah some of them are amazing but you see the men turn up in just like a a, a black suit (laughs) 
and you can even here you're not feeling experimental enough in a location where you could probably do whatever you wanted really um you're still just sticking to the rules that society have given you in terms of what men are allowed to wear and i think it's it's something that doesn't really get spoken about a lot in fashion history is just how limited men can be with their their fashion expression it's true and mm-hmm. even for the women therefore that break down those boundaries how incredibly brave that was to show up to mm-hmm. a ball or a gala or a po- politics meeting in something that broke all the molds of what you should have looked like and it is this idea I think of communicating an element of power and as I said frivolous dressing is not generally connected to having much power or being the most powerful individual in a room so the person that's you know dressed very effeminately in a bright pink dress or you know she's not going to be the one in the room that (laughs) is the powerful one the powerful one is going to be the simple dresser the stark dresser um you know it's 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 an interesting one um and i don't know why i don't don't know why this has happened (laughs) yeah you you look back at people like marie antoinette and even the men around her were dressing in you know pastel blue and pink and white and wearing you know four foot wigs and makeup and you think it just it's never it's not always been that way it's just become that way and even for that element where, you know, a woman showing up in a bright pink dress or Marie Antoinette or even, you know, Madame du Barry showing up in dripping in jewels, that in itself could be a political statement that everyone's like, oh, she's not, she's not going to be the power player right now, but she could be the one drawing all of the attention to herself and knowing exactly what she's playing at and doing it very intentionally showing up enough to dazzle an entire room and bring everyone's attention to yourself exactly and that's a power play within itself and it harks back to what I said about at the beginning of women knowing that fashion is their own sphere and so using that as a way the attention grabbing sort of way of of their way of communicating actually I'm the one that's holding the power in this room because everyone's talking to me (laughs) exactly everyone's looking at me everyone's wanting my attention and in a world where especially in history when women didn't really have that power that is an incredible strength that they could wield yeah it's like using what you've got to your own advantage and if you're if you're allowed doing the dishes or fashion then you know the place that you're gonna be able to be experimental in that is the clothes that you're making and the clothes you're wearing it makes me think of um queen victoria actually because obviously she famously for most of her reign wore black and a lot of the um paintings and you know photographs of her are in her mourning clothes but i learned recently that black was actually one of the most expensive colored fabrics to make and to wear because it was really hard to wash it was hard to keep its color and actually her wearing black for a lot of her reign because she was now a a woman without a king essentially at a time period where you know that still was (laughs) not seen as very powerful her wearing black so consistently was actually her way to show how much money and how much influence she had because she was able to consistently wear that color I thought that was really interesting that is interesting it makes it makes me think of a time I was at Kensington Palace and they pointed it out on the dress that if you look closely, you know, if you look far, far away, it's just a black dress. But as you get closer, it is like the details in that dress are astonishing and do, does really 
emphasize the wealth and the access to wealth that she had mm. that even a black dress she puts so much effort into yeah and she's not someone again I would closely associate with being fashionable um but she was someone that had a lot of power um you know particularly when it came to empire for good or for bad but she certainly had a lot of power and a lot of influence and a lot of money on the in the whole world basically um yeah. but the fact that she did use clothing whether it was yeah like you said the design the color the just the amount of fabric she was using is interesting um in its own way and something that doesn't often come up in conversations around her but actually that was probably one of her ways of when she walked into a room <laughs> to demonstrate to people who she was and why she was the one with the power in that room so you know you see clothes being used for variety in a variety of different ways but ultimately for the same reason sort of consistently throughout history yeah as for that that political or power statement Mm. but i mean for for you on your podcast you focus on sort of a wide range of women in history and even though we talked about your your favorite notorious woman from history do you (laughs) for sort of a final question have just in general, a favorite woman in history in regards to her fashion and the way she used that? I don't think I do have one individual person that I can think of, you know, to my mind, but I'm quite interested in how groups of women use fashion in that same way. Like, for example, um, the suffragettes are an an example of that. you know, you see it used in the liberal feminist movements and um, obviously the choice of colours that they chose um, to either wear on sashes or incorporate as part of their clothing um, was this idea of showing their allegiance to the course and showing people who they were. Obviously, it was um, purple for loyalty, white for purity and green for hope. And many women also incorporated this into like men's clothes that they would wear. So I'm kind of more interested in how groups and types of people will use fashion as opposed to like any individuals, if that makes sense, because there's just too many. (laughs) Interesting. Yeah. How people have used fashion for a movement or a political movement or a social movement. Mm -hmm. That is, yeah, nothing is on accident usually no and not even in the west as well i recently learned about a um group of women in uh china they're called the mao of china and they're basically an, an asian ethnic group and they use clothing and hair to tell the stories of the past um, and i think that's really fascinating specifically the younger girls will wear wigs and headdresses made of their ancestors hair for the last hundreds Whoa. of years at certain times of the years like new years and important holidays and things like that and it kind of creates a connection to their past and they weave it into their family stories and that's the way that they tell the story of their culture which is so cool <laughs> I know, imagine wearing a wig with all your like great 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 grandma's hair <laughs> but it's 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 a completely different group of people you know um different culture different life different location different politics different race of people that are using clothes and fashion for this way of communicating something that they want to communicate and you specifically often see it done by women um and so yeah I'm kind of that's sort of more what I'm interested in is how groups of women will use fashion for their own advantages but I am also interested in some individuals I kind of mentioned the ball here really (laughs) I mean this is so incredibly 
useful and fascinating and something I I hope will get the the conversation going more, especially on in regards to the women I'm talking about of you know, really analyzing, looking at this different angle for them as well of the way they were using clothes and if there's a consistency between them. But, you know, do you have any final thoughts that you would like to add to this portion? I think it's more just to not underplay the importance of fashion and clothes has in history and what it can communicate and how it has communicated different things in the past. I think it does get seen as something kind of bottom of the ladder and not very important and frivolous, but actually when you delve into it, there's so much fascinating stuff in there and it can tell you so much about the story of the world. (laughs) You know, I've got a series called The Short History Of... And I did one on like high heels, for example, because I was just fascinated by where it started and where it went. And it turns out that um, high heeled shoes were designed for the Persian army because it would attach their um, feet into the stirrups of their horses. You know, it's like fashion isn't it's it's not something that is just attached to being silly and frivolous. And actually, when you when you go into it, there's so much fascinating stuff that it can tell you about the world and about different types of people and how they connected with the world and how they used clothes. Um, and also fashion isn't just clothes. It's everything. <laughs> it's accessories, it's hair, it's makeup. Um, it's, you know, underwear. There's so many cool things to delve into it that it's just such a huge topic. Um, and particularly when it comes to individual wicked women, Anne Boleyn being an example of that and how she used her knowledge of, um, the power of fashion to, you know, to establish her place in court. And you see that throughout history. So I think just, yeah, don't downplay the importance of fashion history because it can tell you a lot of really interesting things. <laughs> it is so true. I couldn't have said it better myself. It's really <laughs> a, a brilliant point and a good emphasis to always remember the importance of it. Mm-hmm. But thank you, I mean, so much for taking part in this episode. I think it's a fun sort of side episode that can connect to every woman I've had so far on my podcast, not just a single category of them. So it's, it's something I hope people start noticing in the women I choose. Yeah, yeah. No, that that will be actually be really interesting to see. Because even when you go further back to, you know, ancient times to the ancient Greeks, fashion and um, the way that they um, showed themselves their hair and makeup, their sort of um, what's it called like beauty standards were so integral to the societal makeup of their time period but it's something that doesn't really get spoken about a great deal even when it comes to the greek myths um so yeah it'll be interesting to see if people listen to some of these differently <laughs> and kind of see yeah, even the social status that you could find by just seeing what someone is wearing would tell you exactly where they were on the social ladder is fascinating in of itself and it's probably the one thing everyone around the world every culture every type of person every time period has in common is that we all wore clothes (laughs) or wear clothes (laughs) you know so you know it ties everything together and it is really like the um the rod for the back of the whole of history so yeah I think it'll be interesting to see if you can you you notice things anymore in your research as well that you pick up on some of these women that you might not have noticed before (laughs) even if there's a consistency of the way they're portrayed within fashion history Mm. will be I mean it could be its own PhD thesis (laughs) 
good. I know. It, honestly, you're gonna you're gonna kind of um, kick yourself now for for thinking about it because it opens up a whole can of worms of oh god, <laughs> there's so much of it. There's so much to think about. There's so many different ways I can go. Exactly <laughs> the rabbit hole that has begun. It really is. It really is a bit of a rabbit hole, but it's a good one. So it is. It's a it's a worthwhile one. Yeah. Exactly. But thank you so much for this. I hope I can have you on again on this podcast, you know, maybe a specific woman or just a a part two at some point. Yeah, absolutely. I I always love collaborating with people. It's so nice to just have like a couple of hours to talk to someone about something you're interested in that other people, maybe in your life, you can't have those same conversations with. It's not just me. It's so refreshing. I could not agree more. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great.